You're listening to the news on RTHK. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. Morning, it's 8.03 in Hong Kong on Friday the 20th of May. Welcome to the final Money Talk of the Week on Radio 3. Peter Lewis here with the day's business and finance news. Hong Kong's jobless rate rose to a 10-month high of 5.4% in the February to April period, up from 5% in the January to March period. Officials said employment weakened in almost all sectors in the three months ending April. The underemployment rate also rose from 3.1% to 3.8%. Labour Secretary Lo Chi Kuang said the labour market should see improvement in the coming months. Coronavirus restrictions were relaxed in Hong Kong yesterday for several categories of businesses, more than five months after they were reintroduced to control the territory's Omicron outbreak. Bars, nightclubs, karaoke lounges and mahjong houses reopened, and a curfew on dining in at restaurants was pushed back from 10pm to midnight. Bars and clubs can remain open until 2am, with a maximum of four people per table. The Philippine Central Bank raised its key interest rates for the first time since 2018 to combat inflation, which is the second highest in Southeast Asia. The bank increased the benchmark rate by 25 basis points to 2.25%, in line with economists' forecasts. Consumer price inflation is currently at 4.9%, well above the central bank's 2% to 4% target band. Yesterday, Sri Lanka fell into default for the first time in its history, the central bank said the nation wouldn't be able to make coupon payments of 78 million US dollars on notes maturing in 2023 and 2028 until the debt is restructured. A 30-day grace period to make payments expired on Wednesday, and it's the first sovereign default in the Asia-Pacific region this century, according to Moody's. On today's Money Talk, we're joined by Andrew Ferris of UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management and Alicia Garcia-Herrero from the Texas Speaking about the suggestion by Ping An Insurance to break up HSBC is Saikong District Councillor Christine Fong, who represents some minority shareholders. US stocks stabilised yesterday following the worst sell-off since June 2020 on Wednesday, which erased $1.5 trillion US dollars in market value. The S&P 500 was 0.6% lower at 3,901, following a 4% fall the previous day. And the benchmark index is very close to entering a bear market. It's currently down 19% from its record high. The Dow which was down almost 500 points at the low of the session, recovered half of its losses to close 237 points lower at 31,253. That's the lowest level since March 2021. The Nasdaq Composite Index dropped a third of a percent to 11,389. The Tech Heavy Index is down almost 30% since its November 2021 high. And the market capitalization of the four FANG stocks is down 2 trillion US dollars in that period. 
Earnings reports from some of America's biggest retailers in recent days have raised concerns that the highest rate of inflation in four decades is deterring U.S. consumers from spending and pushing the economy toward a recession. The Pan-European Stock 600 index tumbled 1.4%, with every major sector lower, and about 90% of the stocks included in the Stock 600 gauge lower. The U.K.'s FTSE 100, that dropped 1.8%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index fell by the most in two weeks, sliding 524 points, or 2.5%, to 10,121. The Hang Seng Tech Index slumped 4%. Tencent tumbled 6.5% in Hong Kong after it reported weaker than expected earnings for quarter one. On the mainland, the Shanghai Composite was down as much as 1.4% at the low of the day, but it rebounded to a 0.4% higher at 3,097. Profits at Chinese smartphone maker Xiaomi halved in the first quarter because of the lockdowns across the country. First quarter revenue fell 4.6% for the same period a year earlier to 73.4 billion yuan. That's 10.9 billion US dollars. Adjusted net profits fell 53% year on year to 2.85 billion yuan. That's 425 million US dollars in the first quarter. And UK fund management firm Bailey Gifford warned yesterday of the mounting risks to foreign investors in China. Tom Slater, who's manager of the £14.4 billion Scottish Mortgage Trust, which is the UK's largest investment trust, said the war in Ukraine had worsened US-China relations and that foreign investors needed to reckon with limits Beijing may impose on their investment gains. The statement was notable in that Bailey Gifford has been one of the biggest bulls on China in recent years and had added to its China holdings last year. In the commodity markets, Brent crude oil is up 2% at $111.41 a barrel. Gold rose as the US dollar fell, climbing 1.4% to $1,842 an ounce. The US 10-year Treasury bond yield fell 5 basis points to 2.84%, losing ground for 7 out of the past 9 trading days. And the US dollar index fell 1%, that's the biggest one-day drop since 2020. The euro this morning trading at $1.05.8. The Japanese yen is at 127 and three quarters against the dollar. Uh, sterling rose over 1% to $1.24 and 3 quarter cents at 9 Hong Kong dollars and 78 cents. The Chinese yuan is at 6.72 and a half versus the dollar in offshore markets. And Bitcoin has regained the $30,000 level, climbing almost 4% to $30,300. Around Asian stock markets this morning, Uh, It looks like there's a rebound underway. In Australia, the ASX 200 is up half a percent. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 has risen 0.1%. The Cosby is up about three quarters of a percent in South Korea. And futures markets pointing to gains of about 350 points for the Hang Seng at the Open this morning. As we always do on a Friday morning, we find a very cheerful Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management, at something like 2am in the morning in London. Morning, Andrew. Smiling from ear to ear, Peter. So nice to be with you. That's something I must see. And the audience. <laughs> a rare sight as well. And also on the phone we have with us Alicia Garcia-Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific at Natexis. Morning, uh, Alicia. 
Good morning. Let's start with the uh, the jobless rates here in Hong Kong. It rose to a 10-month high of 5.4% in the February to April period. That's up from 5% in the preceding three-month period. Uh, officials said employment weakened in almost all sectors with the decoration, repair and maintenance for building sector as well as the retail accommodation and food services sector recording um, a worse deterioration. The underemployment rate rose from 3.1% to 3.8%. Labour Secretary Lo Chi Kuang said the situation showed some stabilisation in the latter part of the period in tandem with the receding local epidemic and revival of local economic activities. And he said the labour market should see improvement in the coming months. Andrew, are you optimistic that maybe the worst is behind us now, both for the employment situation and the economy, and we're going to see some improvement in the coming months? Not in the slightest, I'm afraid, because uh, as long as the borders are closed with China, the single biggest employer in the economy... uh, in terms purely on the service side, which is the tourist side, will still remain with the fabulous little numbers like uh, arrivals of tourism down to something like uh, a few tens of thousands as opposed to several tens of millions. And it's going to stay, and it's going to stay like that. So I'm not quite sure why I should be particularly and curiously optimistic, even with meaningless gestures, such as allowing restaurants to put four people as opposed to two people on their tables. You know, that, that always uh, failed, to, failed to impress me. There is also the other point, which is a long-term one, and this is by no means meant to be a criticism of any of the statistics, and that is in an economy that doesn't have uh, a comprehensive uh, unemployment benefit scheme, uh, there must always be a degree of unwillingness for people to register for something that they are not going to get anything. In other words, all this is based on... Uh, uh, on uh, uh, how shall I call it, uh, sampling grounds, which is, mm-hmm. it is not a criticism. This is, this is quite common, but Hong Kong is particular in that respect. That's why a man from Mars would look at Hong Kong with GDP growth likely to go down to 1% and says unemployment at 5%? Really? <laughs> Do you think the government is being complacent about how bad the situation is here? Because they say, look, don't worry, the employment situation is going to improve, the economy is going to improve, the people that have been leaving, this brain drain that we're seeing, don't worry about them, they'll be coming back. Um, is the government too complacent, do you think, about this and needs to take more positive action? Well, one, one has to look at simple numbers, and I go back to something which is not a criticism. It is simply fact. Are they likely to lift any time soon any of the major restrictions on travel? No. Mm-hmm. Is China like to do it? On the contrary, China is doubling down on its, uh, on its physical movement and also on the strictness by which uh, COVID lockdowns are taking place. Not so in Hong Kong, but remember... In terms of economy, Hong Kong is really a Chinese province. And this is just not going to go away. So I would, I wish I could find optimism by simply looking at the numbers, and I don't. Alicia, what do you think? Uh, do you think the worst is over for, for Hong Kong? Well, it doesn't really only depend on Hong Kong and its policies. Um, it doesn't even depend only on the cha- on, on the mainland. It depends also on what's going to happen with COVID, isn't it? I mean, nobody is clear whether Omicron is the latest, the last mutation. We may have new mutations. There's already um, rumors that that's what's 
going to happen uh, in the fall. So, you know, if, if that's the case and we're not ready, that won't be only Hong Kong, but it might be even the world. And beyond that, the idea that Hong Kong can have a very different policy from the mainland seems to me difficult to to maintain because eventually questions will be asked why this is the case in very simple terms. So I don't think... Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just bet on the fact that this is over. And if it were, why do we still have, you know, permanent or at least uh, uh, quarantine centers? Why are they there? I mean, I, I think they should because, again, I don't think we, we can fully bet on, on, on having, um, you know, managed through this pandemic. And therefore, I think we can't uh, make that argument. Yeah. Well, the, the Hong Kong economy is in quite a big hole, isn't it? Its GDP contracted 4%. We're seeing inflation move up, unemployment move up. It's, it's got to dig itself out of quite a deep hole if it wants to, if things need to improve this year. Well, we will see a rebound because, you know, the mobility uh, is close to back to normal. So, you know, we'll see a rebound. I feel actually our number is that I heard that 1% because we've been keeping a 1% growth for the year uh, close to January, February, meaning the very beginning of the restrictions. And this is because of structural reasons. So it's not only about mobility. I mean, Hong Kong can't find, in a way, its comparative advantage anymore. The finance is there, but it isn't fully there. We're even seeing Chinese companies listing in, in Singapore because I guess the degree of concentration already in Hong Kong is is beyond, you know, beyond the necessary in a way. Mm -hmm. You can't attract so many foreign investors in Hong mm -hmm. Kong anymore uh, because there's no diversification. So I guess that, that means, in essence, that the finance uh, model is kind of coming to, you know, to, to take it can't go further. Mm. So Hong Kong needs to find other other industries, other sources of growth in this. Do, do you think, Andrew, that permanent damage has been done to Hong Kong by these restrictions and um, it may be difficult for the Hong Kong economy to get back to where it was? Or do you see it as it was maybe, you know, in 2020, where for most places around the world, they, they did recover quite quite quickly? Yeah, uh, I, have, I have lived long enough to have seen... Uh, uh, long-term trends uh, really stand on, on their heads. So, uh, you know, the fact that a lot of people are leaving Hong Kong means absolutely nothing to me because I saw the same thing in the year before 1997. Nice. Okay, and that was also very serious. Okay, and then it evened out and then and, and it even reversed. Point number one. Point number two is, is of course, the drainage is out of uh, significant international sectors. Of Hong Kong, and Hong Kong, of course, is progressively, and I have been, I'm a keen observer of what's happening with the Greater Bay Area, in its integration with the Greater, Greater Bay Area, on the basis that it's going to offer an international outlook and foothold, and this, of course, may progressively close. But this does not stop at all. The GBA becomes and absorbs, and Hong Kong is absorbed into the GBA. Look also at the Northern Metropolitan project that has quietly simply hadn't gone away, okay, which is another part of integrating physically Hong Kong with the GBA. I see absolutely nothing, uh, nothing uh, what do you call it, suspicious or secret about it. It's absolutely, obviously, and open. So the drainage of population, for me, 
means nothing. If there is a shortage of people in Hong Kong, they will simply be made up from China. Now, if there are a shortage of foreigners in Hong Kong, well, that depends where those foreigners were being employed, and that's primarily on the financial sector. But if Hong Kong is not being maintained as an open economy, correction, as an open international market as it was before, this doesn't matter. Uh, Alicia, tell me a bit about your thoughts on the mainland economy, because obviously our economy here is very dependent on that. We've seen quite a number of um, investment banks cut their forecasts now uh, for GDP because of these lockdowns. Bloomberg Economics is talking about now just 2% growth uh, in China's economy for this year. What are your thoughts? Well, I think it's too early to slash growth all the way to 2%, in my view, because that's literally... um, it's almost, almost a recession, uh, isn't it? If they when yes, down yes. to two percent, I think that's too negative, uh, in my view. But of course, it is not impossible. Uh, there's two things that we need to watch. First is that although uh, Shanghai lockdown seems to be easing, uh, there's other parts of, of the mainland, um, such as Tianjin and others that seem, I mean, could end up in in a full lockdown, and that would mean that we would see restrictions for longer than we're now expecting, which is basically end of May. So if we move all the way to June and perhaps beyond, that might be a possibility, but we're not yet there, so we can't really tell. But what I really want to highlight is that nobody can guarantee, again, same point, that uh, Omicron will be under control all the way up to the party Congress or beyond, meaning uh, there could be, you know, it just can't flare up anywhere. And mm. and therefore, if that's the policy, and it seems uh, the Chinese leadership is adamant that a dynamic zero COVID is going to be maintained, as we heard from the standing committee early May, that's it. I mean, we, we will not know, in other words, what China's growth is going to be this year, because mm. it all depends on, on these new ways, and, and that's, uh, it is totally, totally uncertain. The, the problem is that the, the, the easing of these restrictions that has been talked about, when you speak to people on the ground in Shanghai, um, it, it isn't as great as, you know, as, as the government says. You know, people still can't get out of their compounds. Maybe they can walk around their compounds a bit more than they could, but they couldn't go out. Uh, the number of businesses um, who are in this closed-loop uh, system on this um, on this whitelist that are allowed, allowed to reopen. It's only about 0.2% of all the businesses uh, registered in Shanghai. So it, it's a very feeble relaxation of restrictions, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. But we do see some... I mean, first of all, uh, you need to go all the way to phase three to see the difference because that's when basically uh, individuals can can go to malls, shopping, and so on. So we're not yet there. But I think we already have some surveys uh, of Taiwanese companies operating in China where 50% are back to to production. So I do think there's a little bit of a difference, especially on the manufacturing side, not so much on the consumption side. So the negative um, industrial numbers we saw for April might not be negative in May. That's, mm. that's my sense. They may be very low, though, but it might not be negative. So I do think there's a little bit of an improvement, but again, it all depends on new cases spreading up anywhere uh, relevant, basically major um, manufacturing cities. or, or so, so that could change any time. And for the infrastimulus, I, I want to add this. Uh, we've seen all of these humongous numbers um, being announced on you know, the projects 
that will be built. But again, this depends on mobility. It mm. is very obvious to me that you cannot conduct a major in- infrastructure project if people are locked down. It's just mm. not feasible. So everything depends literally on controlling, I mean, given the policy, of course, controlling the virus. Mm. Andrew, what, what's the impact globally of, of this sort of a COVID lockdown in China? Because it's obviously we're seeing a lot of large global companies like Apple, Microsoft, Tesla, warn of supply chain uh, disruptions. It's even affecting healthcare in the US because you can't get the dyes um, to, that are used in x-rays and CT scans because they're, they're made at uh, the factories in Shanghai. What, what sort of impacts are you anticipating? Like, like everything else, uh, the, the, the God is in, not in the details, it's the quantity. In other words, if one takes X amount of supply chains and out of those you begin to pick out a few medical, a few computer components, okay, you may find out that they don't represent that significant point. So I want to split the sectoral Okay, from uh, the purely uh, uh, overall announcement effect. And uh, my own uh, research, at least on some of the sectors, has pointed out that this has been exaggerated. In other words, the dependence on change. Some companies are totally dependent, some companies are not dependent at all. So uh, when you take the the medium uh, bit, uh, it is not as bad as it looks, but it definitely impact. So there, is, there is no doubt about that. Uh, I keep a hawk's eye on what is happening on the Microsoft, sorry, I'll try that again, on the microchip industry uh, outside China, and that is uh, South Korea and Taiwan. And the images there are quite significantly different in terms that there has been a significant effort to increase the output of key components. Mm-hmm. Remember, car industry closing down because they couldn't get microchips? Well, you don't hear that anymore. And okay. That was a very significant part of the chain, which is not dependent on China. Uh, Alicia, just very quickly, because we, we are running out of time, what, where, where's the greatest impact around Asia of these lockdowns in China? Uh, good point. We've, we've run some uh, regressions, although, of course, regressions don't have the full answer, but just to check. Um, you know, a shock in uh, Chinese imports, which is the most obvious channel. And we're already at zero growth since March. So, you know, it's happening. Uh, what are the countries that are most affected? And the, mm. lar- the largest impact on growth is um, Singapore, Singapore, Hong Kong. I mean, like very open economies. As okay. you move on all the way to India, the impact is, of course, uh, irrelevant, even slightly positive, because the idea is that commodity prices, if China continues to to I mean, oh. remain in lockdown should soften. So that's okay. the idea. But then some others, and I'll be very brief, like Australia, should suffer, yeah, because in principle, you know, that, that okay. they're so linked. Uh, but the exchange rate will help. So okay. it also depends on um, depreciation of currencies to help okay. the shock. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Alicia, but we're, we're running out of time. But yes. thank you very much. Absolutely. That's Alicia Garcia Herrero, Chief Economist for Asia Pacific and the Texas. Andrew Ferris, Chief Strategist at UCAP Hong Kong Asset Management. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Day 25 on the phone now is Christine Fong, who is Saikong District Council and who has been representing in the past uh, some minority shareholders in HSBC. Good morning, Christine. 
Good morning. Good morning, Peter. So I wanted to ask you about this interesting plan that uh, Ping An, or suggestion that Ping An Insurance, HSBC's largest shareholder, has come up with to split the bank into two, basically in Asian operations listed here in Hong Kong and then um, a rest of the world business um, listed in London. What, what are your, the thoughts of the shareholders that you've been representing on that? Uh, uh, thank you, Peter. In fact, um, we came through a very difficult time with those uh, minority shareholders. When remember two years ago, um, the Hong Kong Bank announced to suspend the dividends uh, upon the Bank of England's request. So uh, that was really upset to those uh, minorities. And and two years ago, and the shares has uh, go down to the lowest. Twenty-eight dollars, and and Pinon holds uh, 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 buy back a lot uh, during twenty-eight dollars, and and he they they hold eight uh, percent, uh, possibly eight percent influential shares. So uh, there are uh, quite an uh, extensive discussion in the general public, especially those uh, uh, mm. shareholders in Hong Kong Bank. They they consider that uh, at that time. Um, during the pandemic reason uh the the they they uh, they understand that they knowing that uh, hsbc failed to enduring the the interest of their mm. their shareholders and uh, that's why they they will support pion to to call up uh, a egm if possible because uh pion already hold eight percent mm. uh, influential shares and you only it need five percent to get any you only need exactly. 5%, don't you, to get an EGM yeah. called. So yeah, does that mean exactly. then, I, obviously I understand that um, retail investors were, were disappointed about uh, the, the disappearance of the dividend because they do rely on that for, uh, for a yield, don't they? But does that mean because of that, they're more likely to support a breakup of HSBC because they think uh, a bank that's regulated here in Hong Kong will better protect their dividend? Uh I think uh, because I came through a, a small claim tribunal at two years ago with uh, those minority shareholders, uh, even though we fell, I clearly remember that the uh, legal representative of Hong Kong Bank repeat apologize on on their director decision uh, not, you know, uh, paying the, the dividend properly, and uh, because of the the reason and excuse was uh, putting because of the. Uh, the reg- they are being regulated by uh, Bank of England, mm. and and that that's what uh, obviously that talking about three hundred million a billion dollars uh, interest uh, dividends to uh, Asian and Hong Kong. Uh, so it's a lot of hurt. I mean, it mm. is it, uh, it, um, it was a, a big uh, lesson to those uh, minority shareholders. Who, who rely totally on those dividends for their daily expenses and even mm. medical. But, I, but I have uh, some case, uh, some elderly woman, they they cry for the suspended uh, dividend on um, mm. uh, 2019 quarter four uh, because do, of that. Do, do, so that's why they lost their confidence. Yeah. Do, do the shareholders, though, consider also that breaking up the bank um, even though there is a pivot to Asia and, you know, the majority of HSBC's profits um, are, are in Asian markets, um, a lot of that profit comes from customers who are based in the US and Europe. So wouldn't breaking up the bank um, impact the profitability of what's left here in Asia? Mm. I think uh, nowadays, especially during the fifth wave of uh, 
COVID-19. Um, every country uh, hit the, the, the economy. Uh, but if we look into the central currency record, it is really clear that at least 46% custom accounts are mainly in Hong Kong and Asia. Mm. And, and most of the uh, brokers are um, represent or even uh, holded by uh, China, China uh, business. So I think it would be good to, uh, for them if they really consider if, uh, support PIN on, uh, PIN on, uh, insurance to, um, to, uh, separate the Asian business in, in, uh, and list in Hong Kong and particularly the headquarters return to Hong Kong. Uh, it will, it will have, uh, a, a good thing is, uh, it will have a more confidence to, to the government and also to the general public. Well, they, well, they can invest and have become a bridge to a greater Bay Area, especially mm. nowadays. Um, this is the most uh, uh, potential area that they can they can okay. uh, in, uh, unlock the business and economic potential. Okay, Christine. Well, thank you very much for that. Thank you for um, updating us. That's Christine Fong, who is Saikong District Councillor. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning, the rebound continues. The ASX 200 is up uh, 0.7% down in Australia. In Japan, the Nikkei 225 is up a third of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea also rising uh, about three quarters of a percent. Looks like the Hang Seng is going to add about 350 points at the open this morning. Have a great weekend. Uh, stay tuned uh, for the COVID updates with Janice Wong in just a moment. Coming up after the news, the weather forecast for today, mainly fine. Hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 31 degrees. The outlook is for sunny intervals over the weekend and it will be hot during the day. A few showers early next week. The temperature right now is 25 degrees, 81% relative humidity. Times 8.32. Here's Andrew Shrosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. The World Health Organization has authorized the use of a single-shot COVID vaccine by Chinese manufacturer CanSinoBio. It is the third Chinese-made vaccine to be approved by the WHO after Sinovac and Sinopharm, and the ninth to get the WHO green light. Here's Natalie Ching. The WHO granted emergency use listing to the Tianjin-based firm's Convidesia vaccine. The UN Health Agency said the vaccine was found to have 64% efficacy against symptomatic disease and 92% efficacy against severe COVID. It's been recommended for those aged 18 or above. The jab has already been rolled out in China, Argentina, Chile, Malaysia, Mexico and Pakistan. The listing paves the way for countries to approve and import the vaccine for distribution. It also opens the door for the jabs to enter the COVAX Global Vaccine Sharing Program for poorer countries. Hong Kong's unemployment rate jumped to 5.4% in the February to April quarter, the highest level since the April to June quarter last year, as the labor market weakened during the Omicron wave. That's up 5% in the January to March period. Unemployment worsened across almost all sectors, but Labor Secretary Lao Chi Kuang said there were signs of stabilization last month as the pandemic began to ease. President Biden has strongly supported plans by Finland and Sweden to join NATO after meeting both countries' leaders at the White House. Mr. Biden said they would strengthen the alliance. Sweden's Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson called Russia's attack on Ukraine a watershed moment. She said her country had now decided that it would be best protected within NATO after 200 years of military non-alignment. Today, the situation in Ukraine 
reminds us of the darkest days of European history. And I must say that during dark times, it is great to be among close friends. And over these past months, we have shown transatlantic unity and strength at its best. Turkey has threatened to block Sweden and Finland's membership bids, saying they support Kurdish militants. The Greek electronic music pioneer Vangelis, who won an Oscar for the soundtrack to the film Chariots of Fire, has died at the age of 79. Born in the Greek town of Agria, Vangelis started to play music at about four years old and described himself as largely self-taught. I'm very spontaneous. And uh, when I'm sitting in front of my piano 